Good morning. morning. I feel like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm back. <laughs> so sorry for you, I guess. But uh, well, I don't know about you, but I I really enjoyed the last few months having Kyle here and hearing what he had to share with us and uh, all the things that he uh, he brought to us. I especially liked the last uh, few weeks, a, a series of messages he had about the gospel, uh, kind of talking about what the gospel is and you know, explaining, you, you know, that, you know, the gospel, you know, the, the gospel of the kingdom and, you know, this gospel of salvation that we talk about and this gospel of love, of, of how Christ loves us and, you know, do we love him? And, but, uh, you know, that excites me and we got a nice full house today. That really excites me. And uh, I took a, uh, a look at the calendar, and I was flipping through the, the TV. And uh, if we could have our next slide, I discovered that football's back. I was like, yes! I always tease people that I don't think I could ever get through a message without at least some allusion to sports, especially football. Football's been a big part of my life for a long time, and, and Jimmy back there, and Larry, and others who, who played the game and loved the game. But uh, I coached up at Graham High School, which, uh, if you were to ask people from around the, the country or the state, you know, what do you know about Graham? And they'll say, oh, that's that, uh, that's that wrestling school. What do you think about their football team? Football. Well... As much as I've, I love Graham, and we've seen some good times and some okay times, but we've seen a lot of bad times, too. Uh, we've been a perennial loser for years and years and years. And, and uh, a few years ago, I was coaching a game. We were up at Indian Lake, and that was the, the low light of that season for me. Uh, we had some, all uh, oh, just some different things happening. Some of the coaches had a very, very young staff, very young group of guys. I'm trying to teach them, you know, how to coach and how to take care of people and then, you know, what you should be doing, how to prepare for the game and get the kids ready. And No, we don't stand out in front of the field and throw the football around. You know, you, know, you got to get out there and, you know, work with the kids. Well, the game starts and, and uh, the first quarter went pretty good. Indian Lake was tough that year. They were good. And uh, so we made it through the first quarter. I'm like, yeah, okay, guys, there you go. Second quarter starts, wham, here we go. They started to pound on us. It was like the old Batman show I used to love when I was a kid. Bum, bum, bum. You know, you could almost see the pow, you know, wafting over the stadium. So we got hammered. And uh, a little bit later then, one of our best players on a, on a point-after attempt, he broke his leg. His own player crashed into him and broke his leg. I'm standing there looking out, and they're like, get out of here, coach. I'm like, oh, get up. And he's like, no, coach, you need to get out of here. <laughs> I'm like, oh, boy. So yeah, out there we go. And Coaches are freaking out. They don't know what to do. The kids are like, man, we're getting killed. And I got a mom there, my poor son, he wrestles. I'm like, I don't care about wrestling right now, you know. <laughs> and I'm thinking, Lord, and I remember saying this, Jesus, if you could come right now, that'd be just fine with me, you know. 
So I told the kids and I told the coaches, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're getting, to, we're going to go back to the fundamentals. We're not going to pull some magic trick and win this game. We're not going to suddenly, you know, be able to, you know, do all this stuff. What we're going to do is go back to the basics, to the fundamentals. Coaches, during the game from here on out, every play, your job is to coach your kid in the fundamentals. Teach him how to block. Teach him how to tackle. Teach him how to do the basics of football. Every play, you can work and improve and work on your game. And I was thinking about our, our church as we continue this transitional phase that our church is in. It'd be helpful if we remind ourselves of the fundamentals. Now, I don't see our church in such a state as my poor team was, getting hammered and beat up. And, but all of us go through situations, and some of you recently have had a lot of things that have happened to your families, and you found yourself uh, you know, in and out of the hospital or you know, worrying about job issues. And sometimes when, when things get crazy, it, it's helpful to stop Let's go back to the fundamentals. Let, let's, let's review the fundamentals. And then from there, we can move on to something else, to the, to, the, to the bigger picture, to the more advanced stuff, I guess, if you want to think of it that way. Well, one of the things with the fundamentals, uh, we go to the next slide, is a man by the name of Stephen Covey. Go ahead, one more. I'm sorry. Uh, who was a big leadership guru for years and years and, and wrote a, several books. Um, one of the things that he said that I always remembered was that when you, when you think about life and you think about what's going on and what you want to accomplish, it's helpful to remember that the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Now, what, what's the main thing? I mean, I guess that's the... The question, but the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Every time I log on to the computer and I look at our website or our Facebook page, there at the top is our, our mission. The main thing for us here at, at North Hills is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the main thing. And so people ask me, you know, what do you got? What are we going to do? I mean, are we, are we just, you know, we got things coming up, and you know, we're going to start some new classes or a new small group, maybe, or maybe we'll we'll eat out at the the new place out there, or you know, we'll do this or that. And I'm like, those things are all sound great, but we have to remember that the main thing is is to Make sure that we keep the main thing the main thing. Are we growing? Are we encouraging one another to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ? That's what the main thing is. That's the fundamental. You know, it's our purpose and our reason for existing as a church. We're doing a lot of neat things. There's the, the book bag collecting giving those out as a teacher. I know what it's like to see kids come in, 
They don't have any materials. They don't have new clothes. And, you know, sometimes people go, you need to go out and get yourself some new stuff. Bring that into school. What's the matter with you? The kid's like, I don't have any money. I don't have a parent that'll take me. I've never been to Walmart to, to, to pick stuff out, you know? So when we collect book bags and hand those out, we're doing that in the name of Jesus. To help plant the idea that there is a God and that his, there's a son, his son Jesus, who loves you. It's not just, here's a book bag, kid. Here's a book bag. I want to give this to you in the name of Jesus. We don't just have cookouts to have cookouts. We've had some fantastic cookouts. I mean, <laughs> wow. Even though we ran out of hamburgers last week, that was all right. We had plenty of sausages and hot dogs, and, you know, there's plenty. But we just don't eat to eat. And Sylvia cracked me up today. She's wandering around the basement with a plate in her hand. I'm like, what's going on? Sylvia's like, well, I have my plate, because you never know. We, we eat so often around here, I might need, might need to get something to eat. When we join together in fellowship, we're doing that in the name of Jesus to celebrate the life that we have together and to celebrate his blessings. We want to grow together in our relationship with Jesus Christ. When we collect money and bless all of you who gave so freely. Last week we took up a special collection for a member of the church and, and her husband we were able to bless them and to help meet a real need for them. And to do that, and we didn't just throw a few bucks in the plate. And, well, here you go. People did that in the name of Jesus because we want to bless you. This is a, you know, a family that their whole lives they've been Christians and, and they love the Lord. and We want to bless them in the name of Jesus. We kept the main thing, the main thing. And it's always helpful when we go through our, our, our week and the things that we do here at a church, the music, the pastoral search, anything. Let's always remind ourselves to keep the main thing, the main thing. Now, I want to bring up a fellow, a couple of different people from the Bible who, who worked on keeping the main thing, the main thing. And if you have your Bibles... I'd like for you to turn to Acts chapter 6. Now, I'm a little bit of a prude. I, I like my Bible. All right? I know some of you have digital Bibles, and you have them on your phone or your iPad, and I've got those apps myself. But, uh, you know, I, I, I love my Bible. I like, you know, and some of you have uh, love your Bibles. There's nothing magical about the paper and the, the leather and the... But there's something about somebody who has a Bible that they've used their whole life. And at the end, uh, you know, you look at that Bible and you think, wow, this that Bible is, was treasured by that person. And they could find things in that Bible faster than anybody could punch in, you know, a little thing on the iPad and bring that up. And, and I've always been fascinated with, with the the Word, the printed Word, the Bible. Yola teases me all the time. How many Bibles do I have? I probably have 15 or more, you know. 
I ought to just give them out to people. Here you go. Acts chapter 6 uh, talks about how the church was, was growing very, very quickly. Um, this is just after Christ has gone to heaven. The church has been established on the earth, and God has blessed it, and they're bringing in people uh, you know, that are just attracted to it, and people are being saved. And the church was growing very, very quickly, and they needed people to begin serving the needs of the church. You have, you know, Peter and the other apostles who are doing their thing, which was to preach and to teach. But they had gained so many people, people were coming up to them, you know, you know that lady over there, she really needs some help. And, and that, the, the widows, they're not being served. And, and, and those people over there need some help. Why don't you do something about it, Peter? And he's like, well, look, our job is to, to preach. So here's what we'll do. We'll get some of you <laughs> to work together, and you go serve these people. So they, Acts chapter 6, they choose seven people to become, uh, I guess, what we would today call deacons, people who would try to serve and meet the physical needs of the church. And of these seven men, one is especially noted, a man by the name of Stephen. Uh, if you have your Bible, uh, Acts chapter 6, let's start at verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing uh, great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. What are you doing? Who's this hotshot think he is? Sit down. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then he begins to speak and to teach and to do things that made people stand up and take notice. It goes on in Acts chapter 7. Stephen makes a, a, a defense before the high priest, before the, uh, the Jewish leaders of the time. He'd been dragged away and brought before the council. And uh, you know, they asked him, what are you doing? You, shan't, you can't be saying these things. And all through Acts chapter 7... Stephen gives a wonderful defense of essentially the whole story of the Bible, of, of the, the, the gospel. When he gets done, of course, uh, they're pretty uh, angry about it. And uh, they threw a fit, accused Stephen of this and of that. And those of you who went to Sunday school, what happens to Stephen? He's stoned. They drag him outside and they murder him. They kill him. What a horrible thing. The result was his death, murdered by the people by, being, by, by stoning, which is a horrible way to go. Of course, we know that Stephen was blessed for his faithfulness. Uh, he cried out, Lord, receive my spirit. Uh, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And then he fell asleep or he died. And, and Stephen is known as a, as a man who, who died for his faith, one of the first real martyrs 
of the church. And if you pick, we're going to pick the story back up in chapter 8. A guy by the name of Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. Yes, yes, that's what we needed to do. Put that guy away. We don't need him around. And that day of severe persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the countryside. Devout men buried Stephen and made a loud lamentation over him. They cried, oh, Stephen, you were a great guy. But Paul, or Saul, excuse me, was ravaging the church. He was entering houses. He was dragging people out of the house, having them locked up, throw them in prison. Now, the church has a, a decision to make. What do we do? There's a man running around here by the name of Saul who is persecuting the church. Now, the next slide is, uh, I, I was a little hesitant of putting this in here, but I wanted to capture the, the fear that the people felt of, of Saul, people within the church, the Christians. They were scared of him. Today, in the Middle East, there are terrorist groups, and one of the most notorious of them is the group ISIS. And if any of you have watched the news or you've read magazines or you keep up with what's happening, ISIS is a terrorist group. It is a religious group that is motivated by belief in their God to destroy Christians. Saul, who would later become the great missionary Paul, was one of these people. When we flip on the news at night and we see people like this, and he's not holding that knife just to point things out. People are in that region of the world, they're terrified of these guys. The church has to deal with this. There are Christians today that have to deal with this. I don't know if you've, you've kept up on that, but we're awful lucky here and blessed here in America that we don't, so far, we don't have those kinds of issues. The church was terrified of Saul, of not ISIS, of course, but Saul from the Jews, who in the name of their God was persecuting the Christian church. So what do we do? What happens? Does the, does the church run away and hide and try to get away? Well, there was a man among the church who kept the main thing, the main thing. The main thing was to spread the gospel. And, I, and in this case, a man by the name of Philip was not going to be dissuaded or terrified or scared to death by this group who was going around killing Christians. We pick up the story here in Acts chapter 8. It's the story of Philip, who's a man who who understood that the main thing here is to keep the main thing the main thing. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're killing us. They killed Stephen. Stephen was a great guy. They hauled him out and they stoned him. That could happen to any of us. But I have to <laughs> make sure that I do what I'm supposed to do. I have to proclaim the gospel message to keep the main thing the main thing. 
Philip refused to be distracted from doing the main thing, which was to proclaim the gospel. So he went to Samaria after this event. That wasn't a place uh, any good Jew would really go to if they, they really wanted to. Samaria was a place you had a lot of Gentiles and Jews all mixed together and different religions and things, so it wasn't a great place. No, he went there. He did signs and wonders. He preached and he taught, knowing that there were people like Saul running around who would love to have you know, put him six feet under. Despite his circumstances, he was committed to making the main thing the main thing, to returning to the fundamentals. Of course, Philip would move on. He would meet Simon the magician. He would have... Oh, well. What's that? Oh. Hello? Hello. <laughs> See, when the mic goes out, the main thing is to make sure that I keep the main thing the main thing. Please unhook me. I'm all tied up like a... I'm a lassoed. And, there we go. All right. So anyways, uh, Philip... Despite the terror that a lot of these people were under, he went forward and continued to minister in the name of, of Jesus. You know, life would be so much more meaningful if we always kept the gospel at the heart of who we are and, and what we do. Unfortunately, as, as you all know, life takes a lot of twists and turns. Somebody said it in Sunday school this morning. We make plans and God just kind of laughs, kind of chuckles. <laughs> Life's not that easy. It's not that linear. Unfortunately, many times when life gets tough, we forget the fundamentals. We don't trust him, and we try to do things our own way. Let's return to, to uh, the book of Genesis. So if you have your Bible or your digital device, whatever, uh, flick in there and go clear back to the beginning of the Bible, to Genesis. In the story of Genesis, if I will bring up, yeah, I always think about Genesis and what it would have been like to run around in the Garden of Eden. You know, I'm getting awfully tired of raking up your underwear, you know, so. But, uh, you know, what a life uh, living in the Garden of Eden. But, of course, uh, Genesis chapter 2, life was pretty simple in the Garden. God had created the world. He had created all of these wonderful things and and then maybe his greatest creation, he creates people. And he puts them in this garden, and he gives them really everything that you could, could need. Now, it's hard for us in, in the, the age that we live in, imagining living in a garden, and wow, we got everything here, you know. But uh, God said, you know, you got everything. Just one thing, um, if you would... Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil. You can have all this stuff, but there's one tree. Don't mess with that. 
A lot of you have little kids, or you had little kids, and all of you were little kids at one time. And uh, your parents probably told you, you could do this, but don't mess with that. Of course, the first thing you're thinking of is, well, <laughs> I'm going to get into some trouble, but man, I, I just got to see what this is all about. But life is pretty simple in the garden. You get everything you want. You're in fellowship with God. Just don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Now the serpent, if we move on here. Okay, here it is. Uh, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast in the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, uh, we may not eat of the fruit of the, the trees in the garden, or the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So life was pretty simple. I've given you all this stuff. Enjoy it, but don't touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, of course, uh, let's move on to the next one. Poor old Eve. You know, the devil tells her, look, if you eat, if you eat this, you'll, you'll be like God. And she's probably thinking, that would be fantastic. I mean, we say that all the time. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more like God. So here's Eve in the garden. If I eat this, I'll be more like God, see, and... and and th that would be great. I, I would know good and evil and, and be able to, to do with that. And, but what was the main thing? What did God told her? What was the instruction? You can do anything you want except don't touch the tree. Don't mess with it. We do the same thing all the time. There are things we know we shouldn't do, things we shouldn't touch, things we shouldn't mess with. But... Eh, it might might help somebody if I do this. Eh, it might make me closer to God. It might make me do this. I don't think when she ate from that piece of fruit, we like to say apple, but who knows what kind of fruit it was. I don't think she did that as an act of willful disobedience, a defiancy against God. Well, God said I can't eat this. Well, you, you just watch me, God. I think it was more of a, a result of falling for the seduction and the deception that makes sin so enticing. She forgot the main thing. She gave it to Adam. Adam had been instructed too. Fellas, we always like to, oh, well, Eve's the one that messed up. Yeah, but she didn't, like, beat Adam up and say, here, eat it. Adam had to say, mm, okay. He's just as guilty. They forgot the main thing, which was to obey God. That's all that God had asked of them. I've given you everything, but obey me. Don't mess with the tree. And they did, and we have all paid the price ever since. To make a more personal story here as I get ready to wrap this up, if we go to the next slide. Many of you probably felt like this person. But I want to tell you a true story about a cousin of mine who helped uh, 
when I was little, she would babysit myself and my sister. And she was greatly loved in our family, but uh, here was a, she was a, a lady by the name of Lori. Lori was her name. And Lori, um, all throughout her life, had suffered with probably some kind of mental illness, probably uh, depression, a chronic type of depression. Not, not the blues like everybody gets at times, but a chronic, overpowering sense of major depression, which if you've ever had that, uh, it makes things very, very difficult. It saps your energy, your mood, all of that. And it can be very hard to just function, to just get out of bed. It can be very, very debilitating. So she constantly felt this throughout her life. On top of that, she developed Crohn's disease, which is a very painful disease, or can be. And she would often be in the hospital, you know, trying to get it treated. So she was pretty miserable, as you can, can imagine. And my mom, over the years, would always try to get Lori to focus on the fundamentals. The basics. She would often talk about God and, and love God, and she came from a godly family. But the, the mental illness, the depression, and the Crohn's, I mean, after day after day after day of this, it just starts to wear on you. Let's go to the next slide. And my mom would say, you know, let's go back to the, the basics. Let's go to the fundamentals here. I know what you're feeling today, but let's look at the truth for a minute. Let's look at John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him, you're not going to perish, but have eternal life. And Lori would say things to her like, yeah, but Jesus doesn't love me. He doesn't love me. She'd been married six times in her life. She had seven children from six different fathers. She had uh, depression, the Crohn's disease. Uh, she was poor. And a lot of this, of course, if you look back on it, look at the choices you've made, and you can kind of unravel the, the, the knot in a way. But mom would try to remind her when Lori would, would feel that way. Lori would often call my mom on the phone. Jesus doesn't love me. And my mom would say, John 3.16. Go back to the fundamentals. Jesus doesn't love me. Read it again. I feel guilty. Look what I've done with my life. I'm like the, the harlot in the Bible. Go back and read John 3.16. I blew all my money. I'm worthless. Read John 3.16. Read it again. Over and over and over again, my mom would encourage her, go back to the fundamentals. There is a God he created you. He loves you. And if you'll accept him, despite the Crohn's, despite the depression, despite your feelings, you will have eternal life. One night my mom got a call several years ago. It was from my aunt, and something horrible had happened. And uh, Lori had taken her life. She finally had, uh, had had enough, and that was it. A few days before, she had called my mother and had said, 
you know, Jeannie, I just want you to know I love you. And I, I just so, all my life you've been there for me. And, and you told me about God. And you told me that Jesus loved me. And you told me. That, and I just want you to know that I just, I love you for that. And they talk a little bit. And a couple of days later, her daughter had a birthday party. She had friends over. A lot of you guys have probably been to sleepovers. Lori had been up, and she fixed dinner for the kids. She served it. They had a little party, and she went to bed. And sometime during the night, she had killed herself. She overdosed. They found her on the floor. And my aunt called my mom, and my mom raced over there. And, of course, the sheriff was there. The coroner was there. And they weren't going to let anybody in. The parents couldn't go, no, no, nobody can go in there. It's a, you know, it might be a crime scene. And finally my mom said, I'm going in there. And the coroner finally said, you go right ahead. And she went in there, and she sat with Lori for a good long time, sitting with her, praying with her body, talking to her, and reminding her once again, there is a God. He loves you. He loved you. You were not forgotten by him. This is a tragic story because in some, in some ways, is it even fair? I mean, she had a chemical imbalance. If you've never dealt with mental illness, consider yourself very, very lucky because mental illness is uh, it's horrible. If you've ever suffered from chronic depression, any kind of anxiety issues, those things are real and they are they're debilitating. But despite all of this, Lori could not accept the fundamental. Yes, we know you're hurting. God still loves you. When we refuse the truth, even you know, when we deviate from the fundamentals of faith that Jesus loves us and that he paid for our sins and that he cares for us, even when we're hurting, especially when we're hurting and we turn away from God. Jesus doesn't love me. We pay a horrible price. It's in the moments like that that we need to be reminded of John 3.16. Read it again. My husband left me. Read it again. I feel unloved. Read it again. Our challenge is to keep the main thing the main thing. We are the body of Christ in the world. Our purpose is to help people know and love Jesus. That's what North Hills Church of God is all about. And if we fail to stick to that fundamental truth that Jesus loves the world and wants to draw that world and pull it unto himself, we're at risk of taking that game into our own hands. That always leads to ruin. One of the things that can be dangerous, if you fail to trust the fundamentals, you, in other words, you're planning on acting outside the blessings or the hopes of God. The Bible puts it very bluntly, like a dog returning to its own vomit. That's going to lead to, to ruin. Now, I want to I close today with a... Uh, a few verses from the book of Hebrews. And this is a very difficult passage for me. Believe it or not, I don't know everything about the Bible. 
fact, like most of you, I'm still learning as I go and, and keep, keep working on it and keep trying. But over the years of my life, this, this passage in particular has given me a lot of trouble. And I want to look at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And I want to read this slowly, and I want you to think about the words. If you don't have a Bible, and I don't have it up there, just a little too much to type up. But think about it, and you just listen to these words. Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and all that other basic stuff that we keep going over and over and over about. Talking about the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Look, we're going to do all that if God permits it. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful to those of whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it's worthless and close to being cursed and ends up being burned. You might think about that passage. What's the big deal? What's all that mean? It scares me. If we go to the next slide, I feel like these people. The first time I read that, because it seems to suggest what? Once you become a Christian, if you're fooling around and you leave the fundamentals of the faith and you turn your back and you just become like Lori, nobody really cares. You may lose it all. I want to be a good fruit picked from the vine, and God says, yes, that's a good one. I don't want to be like, ugh thorn I don't want that to lose that faith and spurn the gospel to turn away from the fundamentals of the faith to embrace the world all over again that phrase fallen away is used only in that passage in that context in the New Testament it's the equivalent of saying unbelief unfaithfulness apostasy You ever had that silly thought in your head? Oh, they say I have freedom. We sing about it all the time. I've got freedom in Christ, and I'm free, I'm free, I can do. When we do that sometimes, when we freely, by our own volition, refuse the faith, when we freely forget the fundamentals and sin, we re-crucify Christ, we treat him with contempt. When you get into that state, it's almost impossible for someone to repent. In essence, you've spurned your salvation. The reason this, I struggle with this. I grew up in a Baptist church, 
uh, well, it's kind of fun. I grew up in a Methodist church with Baptist teaching. I know that doesn't make any sense, but but that's what happened. And uh, I was always taught you cannot lose your salvation. Once you uh, accept Christ, you're in, man. You can do what you want. Not that you're you, we, you're going to go out and do a lot of bad stuff. We don't mean that. But look, you've made a, a, a dedication to Christ, and you've been baptized, and you know, 30 years later, you forgot about that, and you killed somebody and robbed them and, and did some horrible things. You're still going, man. You've still found salvation. What disturbs me is when I read things like this from the Bible. This isn't John making this up. This is the Word of God. Saying very bluntly, if you reject Christ with full knowledge and conscious experience, that salvation will not be yours. That's a warning to us. 99.9% of the time when I speak, it's about Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus wants to, he died for you. But that 1% has to be tempered by, we have to love him in return. We have to have faith. We have to desire to keep those fundamentals, to understand what it really is. We're at great peril of following, falling away if we don't press on beyond the firm foundation of truth. Many of us have joined the church, and for many years of my life, joined the church. I did the church thing. Come to church, sing the songs, go to eat. Do all that. My uh, Christian life was kind of like, uh, you know, like reading a big history book. It's a mile wide and about an inch deep. There came a point where I wanted to move beyond the fundamentals, to refuse to return to the prior things. Now, those of us who have faith in Christ and a desire repentance and forgiveness, Christ, of course, is faithful and just to forgive. Let's move ahead with our slides here. That lady's scaring me. Move on to the next one. Let's go to another one here. Let's go one more. We don't want to be the mouse here. Yes. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. Now, am I saying you all got to go out and be perfect now? All you sinners better get yourself to That's not what I'm saying at all. Some days I feel like, you know, some of the, the writers of the, the Bible you know, there are a lot of sinners, and I'm the chief sinner. But we have to return to those fundamentals. If we get to a point in our lives where the life of Christ, the life of the church is just like, if this is the Lions Club, you know, what's, why not just go to the Lions Club? If this is uh, four, like 4-H meetings, just go to 4-H. I think, to summarize the whole message, and I've kind of gone off a rabbit trail here, but the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. As we move forward as a church, we have to remember and remind ourselves that we exist as a church body to help people grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. If the things that we do do not do that, We've left the fundamentals. We're messed up. 
So over the next few weeks, next month or so, I want to look at some of these fundamentals. And some of these fundamentals are somewhat unique to our, to our uh, denomination, to our congregation. I had a, a, a kid at church, was a football player once, and uh, he was dating a girl that went to Lawrenceville. This was probably 10 years ago. And we were talking about church. He goes, where do you go to church? I said, well, I go to, I go over in Springfield to North Hills. He says, is that like Lawrenceville? I said, yeah, they're kind of the same. Oh, you go to that weird church. What do you mean the weird church? Yeah, my dad says you guys are all going to hell because you don't believe in this and that and the other things. And I'm like, what? Let's go back to the fundamentals here, kid. Let's take a look at what the Bible says. So what I want to be about here in the next month, what I'm going to encourage you to do is re-examine yourself. Are you keeping the main thing the main thing? Because I still am determined, whoever that new pastor is, it may be Kyle, it may be somebody else, that when they come, we turn over to him a church body of people who love Jesus Christ. Just like last week, Kyle said, if you love Jesus, come on down. I always love that. It's like the first day of teacher meetings. Everybody, they always say, we're going to have an icebreaker. And everybody's like, oh, I hate these things. Come on down. And everybody kind of looks around like, who's going to be the first one to have the guts? Oh, oh, there, there we go. Like a junior high dance. Somebody finally sneaks out onto the floor, and then they all get up, and you know, here we go. All of us, I believe, in this church love Jesus. All of us want to love Jesus and have a relationship with him. But do we all want to move beyond the fundamentals? Do we all want to make that a part of our life? Do we want to keep the main thing the main thing? That's my challenge to you. And uh, that's the thing I, I'd love for you to be able to think about this week. And as we go through the, you know, the next month or so, some things that we'll be talking about. So if the worship team would come up, we do love a God who is forgiving, who loves us, who is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. If we are seriously desire that. Let's all stand and sing. Let's worship God one more time this morning.